so I have something to admit to you. Tell me. I'm afraid I'm a plant killer. Oh. (laughs) Yeah, that's something I've accepted about myself a long time ago. So, did you know that, like, basically every plant except for a fern is poisonous to cats? Fern and, like, grass. So, I have, like, one of those really pretty, like, aglomenias or whatever. I don't know. I don't know how to say what it is. (laughs) But it's it's the really pretty um, plant with, like, green and pink leaves. And it's just gorgeous. Well, I've had it out on the balcony, and it's great and all, but um, it's a tropical plant, and it's been, like, 30 degrees at night. But I can't bring it inside. So I literally like had a sheet outside the other day, like protecting my plants from the frost. And they're still alive, but they're not as happy. And I'm afraid they're going to die through the winter, i.e. plant killer. I also have two dead cacti out there, like brown, crusty, dead. (laughs) Yeah, I, all of my plants are dead. I have like one cactus that's holding on for dear life. And I just, I don't know how plants survive the winter. I don't understand. I don't either. And I guess people bring them inside because most pets, like most cats will stay out of them. Maybe not though. Willow won't. She she eats every plant I bring inside. It doesn't matter what it is. Oh, hey, there she is. She's visiting right now. She heard <laughs> me talk about plants and was like, where? Oh my God. I mean, same. I have no plants in my house. And it makes me so sad because I want to get a zero light or like a low light plant for my bathroom so bad. Because I love the idea of having, like, nice, fresh, hanging plants in the bathroom. But instead, I have cats. And I can just (laughs) picture them trying to jump and grab onto it. It falls. They scream. My toilet breaks in half. (laughs) Chaos. And you come home from work. And the water is, like, spouting out of the plumbing. It's wet. Like, the whole carpet has been soaked as the water's flowed through the halls. I just, I open my door, (laughs) and then I just close it back and walk away. I want, I also want some hanging plants, but same thing. I'm worried she's going to jump and, like, she's going to hang on it and hang there. (laughs) And she's going to be hanging until it all crashes down. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so I'm a plant killer. Can't keep a plant alive. Definitely don't have a green thumb, that's for sure. Well, and also, the thing is, listeners, so that y'all know that we're not just bullshitting, My cat has done that, (laughs) i.e., I guess not, I've never had a hanging plant, so jump beyond that, but I have caught him climbing the wall, like... Yeah, it's true. Up to the ceiling, up to my, like, 14-foot ceiling, so (laughs) I'm just saying, there's... There is actual fear there. Yeah, he's your everyday rock climber, you know, going up that corner, like, bink, with his claws, bink, bink, and, like... He's it's just so he's crazy. weird. He's so <laughs> yes. crazy. Um, but hi, everyone. This is Blood and Wine. I'm Brittany. And I'm Tyler. And uh, we don't have plants in the house because we have little terrorists running around. Cats allow us to not have pretty things. They, al- <laughs> they allow us not to. <laughs> yep, that's, I said that's it. That's a, what I said. <laughs> that's the truth. <laughs> oh, my God. Um well, I know you have something exciting to tell our listeners about Patreon, so why don't you just go do that? Yes. <laughs> why, don't you just, why don't you just go do that? <laughs> why don't you just go ahead and start talking, okay? Okay. <laughs> why don't you go wow. do that? <laughs> okay, fine. Sorry. I realized as that came out, it was this weird, like, why don't you do that? <laughs> why don't you go ahead and, like, do your job? Like, that'd be really nice. I'd appreciate it. <laughs> you know, like, whatever. This is a two-person podcast. <laughs> why does it sometimes feel like one? I don't know. Maybe it's just me. 
<laughs> no, but yes, totally we have kidding. some very exciting stuff to announce with Patreon. So for the first time since we created Patreon, we are announcing a new tier. And this tier is called the Nero Diavola Cosa Nostra, which is a mouthful. It's a mouthful, but it's totally worth it. It is. And what this is, so the Nero Diavola is one of the most widely planted grapes in Sicily. And the Cosa Nostra is the Sicilian Mafia. So there is our little blend of wine varietals and some kind of, I don't know, crime group that we do for all of our things. Um, But what this tier is, it is our $20 tier. So it is above the $15 one. You get all of the benefits from the previous tiers. So social media shout outs, being able to direct your own episode And with this tier, you will also be getting a free blooded wine tote or t-shirt of your choosing. Yes, and we do have um, both logos for the t-shirts. So you just let us know if you want the old classic logo or our current logo. Um, The tote bags only come in the new logo. But it's this is really exciting because I know you guys, some of y'all have been wanting our t-shirts. We have like so many supporters that we were like, you know what? We need to add some merch into these tiers. And so Absolutely. you know what we did? We did it. We did it. We were like, y'all want it? We got it. <laughs> um, but it's really exciting to have a new tier on Patreon. You guys have been so wonderful and so supportive that we wanted to add a little bit more to give back to you guys. So again, thank you. Yes, thank y'all so, so much. Y'all are the backbone of everything we do. Absolutely. And while you're at it, if you've already checked out Patreon, or maybe you're going to check out Patreon, also be sure that you've subscribed on Apple Podcasts for all of our new episodes that come out on Tuesday. If you subscribe, that's already going to be in like your podcast queue um, when you wake up. So you won't have no. to like search for it or download it or wonder, hmm, was there a new one? Yes, there was. If it's Tuesday, there was a new one, and you should listen. Yes. Also, can we just take a moment? This is episode 80. Right? Like, that's so many episodes. I swear it feels like just like a month ago we were doing like 30, and now all of a sudden we're at 80, and I'm like, how did this actually happen? I know. I think about... Like, whenever we reference, oh, we did this in a past episode, in my mind, I'm always like, yeah, it was just a few episodes ago. It was, like, in the 40s. And I'm like, well, one, that's not a few episodes ago. And it wasn't in the 40s. It was in the 70s, which was still quite a few episodes ago. And I'm like, what the hell? And, you know, the good news is, but also the horrific news is, we're not running out of content. That's for sure. Oh, my God. (laughs) The crime just keeps on coming in. Well, speaking of a lot of crazy shit going on, you know what is really crazy? Survivor stories. Yes. And so this week's topic, we alluded to it last week, i.e. I flat out said is what I'm doing. Um, (laughs) We needed it. We needed a story that ends in hope after last week's episode, after Camp Murders. I know. I needed something. Well, um, that does not mean by any stretch of the imagination that these cases aren't absolutely horrific, because mine, literally, when I was doing this research, I was like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And then there keeps being, like, more twists, more turns, and I'm like, are you actually serious? Um, So, but like I was saying, this week we are doing a Survivor episode, and boy, oh boy, my case is intense. 
Uh, mine too. And it's been a hot minute since we've done a Survivor episode. And we've had quite a few of you reach out to us asking to hear more Survivor stories and more of this. So very happy that you picked it last week for this episode because... Yes, it definitely has been a hot minute. But before we jump into our cases, let's talk about our wine. Yes. Uh, when it comes to a Survivor episode, I win the exact opposite for my wine, um, because this wine will kill you. No, just kidding. Oh, um, <laughs> it's actually a bottle of bleach. It's actually today, um, no, it's not bleach. It is the Walking Dead wine, <laughs> which... Oh, like the show. Like the show. So I'm sure a lot of y'all have seen this in stores. I've seen it for a long time, and just being, like, super candid, because this is a $19 bottle... And it was on sale for $5, so obviously I bought wow. it. <laughs> okay. Oh, I wonder how it tastes if they discounted it from 19 to 5 No, it seemed like the store had just over-ordered. So this okay. is the 2016 The Walking Dead Blood Red Blend. Um, they also had a cab, which I had yesterday. It was good. So okay. I'm looking forward to this one. Um So all of the Walking Dead wines, there's actually quite a few. There's a Cabernet Sauvignon, there's this one, um, the Blood Red Blend, there's a Chardonnay, and there's a Sauvignon Blanc. And they're made by The Last Wine Company, which is definitely a play on The Walking Dead, where it's like the last of the last. It was part of like the whole brand extension. Um, It's just, it's so sad that there's not going to be any more wine companies anymore. That's the last one. It's the very last one. Yeah. And they made... These wines, zombie wines. Um, (laughs) So this blend is actually 10% Malbec, 40% Merlot, 30% Cabernet Sauvignon, and 20% Petit Verdot. And it is aged in oak, French and American oak barrels for 10 months. And the alcohol content percentage is 13.5. Okay. So it's a pretty, pretty good, like, hefty red. It does have an intense, bold flavor. It's very robust with unyielding character. It has notes of ripe raspberry, cranberry, and cherry that flesh out some pretty structured tannins. And these wine labels actually have those living wine labels, just like the 19 Crimes wines. And so for this one, the um, Blood Red Blend, it has an image of Sheriff Rick Grimes here on the front. And he's just like staring down these zombies that are coming towards him. And when you, you know, do, do like the camera thing with the app um, and you point it at the label, Sheriff Rick then starts fighting off the walkers in the wine aisle. So. Oh. There you go. Okay. Um, but I'm really looking forward to tasting this. If it's as good as the cab, then it's, you know, I can see why it's an $18 bottle. I don't know if I would regularly pay that much. The fact that I got it for five, um, you know what? That's right up my fucking price alley. And so I'm excited to try this baby. I know that might be something that you, uh, go back to the store and stock up while it's still five bucks. Yeah, no joke. And this one is just a regular cork. There's no screw top. Um, and I guess each of the corks has different things on it. The one in the cab that I got was a, like a dead hand, like a zombie hand. Oh, just floating in the wine. I guess. And this one, I don't know. Let's see. It's a barbed wire. Oh, yep. oh, there you go. Which actually looks kind of cool. Keep that cork. I will. I keep all my blood and wine corks. I don't know what I'm going to do with them, but I keep them. Fair. 
That is definitely this ruby garnet color. Yeah, I would call that blood red. Me too. Blood red blend. All right, well, what wine do you have? So I wanted to switch things up a little bit, and mine is the 2018 Raffino Pinot Grigio Lumina from Tuscany. Ooh, a Pinot Grigio. I know. I'm switching it up. I was feeling a light wine, and we haven't done a Pinot Grigio in a long-ass time, so I was like, you know what? Let's do it. I think the Sweet Bitch is the last time we did one. God, that was... I don't even know how many episodes ago that was. Probably in the 40s. Well, and I will say, that was you. I don't think I've ever actually picked a... No, I'm lying. I have picked a Pinot Grigio. Liar. I know, I'm sorry. But this wine in particular, the grapes are sourced from the Della Venzi IGT, which is an appellation comprised of Veneto, Frilli Venezia, Guglia, and Trentino. And these are some of the top regions in Italy for Pinot Grigio cultivation. Fermentation for this wine takes place in stainless steel tanks. So, like, I think almost all Pinot Grigios. I won't, I won't say that. I'm going to say most. It's not oaked in any way. I don't think I've ever heard of an oaked Pinot Grigio, but I feel like winemakers do weird things all the time. They do. And, I mean, the fact that I've heard of an oaked Sauvignon Blanc scares me. Exactly. So, Pinot Grigio, in general, is a dry white wine that's naturally low in acidity. They showcase signature flavors and aromas of stone fruit, citrus, honeysuckle, pear, and almond. So, there are basically two main types of Pinot Grigio. There's the Italian and the Alsatian style, and I think this one is an Italian style. I would assume it's from Tuscany. The Alsatian style is very aromatic, so think rose and honey. They're very richly textured and usually a little bit higher in alcohol content compared to the Italian Pinot Grigio. Ooh, I'm really interested about the one you didn't get. I know, and I'm not... (laughs) And I don't think this is an Alsatian. It's also 12% alcohol, so I I don't know. That sounds pretty high for a white to me, but not really. It actually seems pretty normal. Yeah, it's not notably high. Well, Italian Pinot Grigios, their style is very light and charming. Oh, oh, so it can, like, get you, it can buy you a drink, it can get you to bed. (laughs) It's really charming. And um, I misspoke earlier because I should have just read my notes one paragraph down. This is an Asalchin Pinot Grigios. Oh my gosh. You (laughs) clearly did your wine research very quickly, but you know what? It's okay. the quicker, yeah. the quicker you do the research, the quicker you get to open the bottle. So I feel you. Uh, I mean, exactly. Okay, so, but now I've I've reversed my statement. I'm excited about the one you're about to drink. <laughs> me too. So the viscosity of an Alsatian Pinot Grigio allows it to fit very well with the region's rich foods, foods like pork, charcuterie, and foie gras. And regular Pinot Grigio, on the other hand. Um, has this very citrusy freshness, and it works well as an aperitif wine or with seafood or subtle chicken dishes. That sounds really good. Yeah. I never, I can't believe I'm saying that about a Pinot Grigio, but yeah, okay. And also, Rafino's good. Um, I believe they're the ones, are they the ones that I always drink their Prosecco? I don't, uh, I don't know. I don't know. But open that bottle. Well, I'm not done yet. Oh, sorry. Tell me more about your wine. There we go. 
So this bottle in particular, I read some people's reviews. They said that it seemed a little less flavorful initially, but it comes back in the finish. It's very smooth, refreshing, with a flush aroma of apple and pear. The flavors on the palate are green apple, mild lime, and calcium minerals. It's very nicely balanced, memorable finish, and pairs really well with seafood. Which, reading that makes me think that I kind of want to recant my recant earlier, and maybe this is just an Italian Pinot Grigio. Basically, I don't know what I'm about to put into my body. (laughs) Um, But the backwash is good, is what I heard. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But this one is a screw cap, which is nice. And it does have the uh, little DOC sticker labels to let you know that it actually is Italian and imported. Nice. Also, this one was like $9 or something. $8. Pretty good. Pretty good range. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god, you just went in for that. (laughs) Listen, I need some wine. And I did splash. (laughs) That was such an intense pour. (laughs) Listen, sometimes the bottle needs to go vertical. <laughs> you literally poured that like a, a stout or something, where you just like dump the whole thing upside down. Glug, 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 glug. I'm aerating it, which, as we know, white wines don't need. But you know what? You do you. I can definitely smell the oakiness on mine as it's started to open up. Nice. Mine. It has a nice oaky afterbirth. Afterbirth? <laughs> <laughs> it's from the office. <laughs> okay. It's when I've Michael's... never seen The Office. Well, there's one episode when they're at like some type of function or whatever, and Michael Scott's talking about how he's... Um... Oh, wait, no, I'm getting two episodes confused. Okay, so this is the one where I believe he has a group over for dinner. It's the one with Jan. Everyone remembers this episode if you actually watch The Office, but he... Wow. <laughs> he says the wine has a <laughs> nice oaky afterbirth. And then the other one, he's like smelling a wine he's like yeah i'm pretty sure this is a white (laughs) (laughs) and i'm like you know what i feel you i feel you steve carell yeah mine smells very bright uh i definitely get the citrusy notes yeah some green apple going on in there mine like the oakiness is what's hitting my nose right off the bat um it's very much the overpowering uh aroma but I also smell the fruit, maybe a little bit of those um, raspberries and cranberries. I'm not really getting cherry. I think that's going to be more in the taste. Yeah. Well, speaking of which, I think it's time to cheers and taste. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Okay. You know, when I first, when the wine first hit my tongue, I was like, eh. It's a Pinot Grigio. I know. I saw the look on your face, and then I saw the moment of change. Yeah, the the afterbirth hit me. (laughs) um, It really, yeah, that's kind of when it opens up and you actually get the flavors is the back of your tongue and as you're swallowing. It doesn't have much on the front, which if I remember from like health in fourth grade specifically, which (laughs) so 20 years ago, let me flashback. But I feel like you have a lot more of the sour receptors on the front of your tongue. Like that's where they live. I thought they were on the sides. Okay, maybe it's on the sides. I don't. Maybe I'm talking out of my ass. I don't know. It's a low acidity wine, and so it doesn't have the sour notes that you'd get from like a Sauvignon Blanc. It is definitely 
heavier than that. I think Pinot Grigio, in my mind, on the scale of, like, light to hefty for mm-hmm. whites, is pretty in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, Sauvignon Blanc being the lightest, Chardonnay being the heavier. heaviest. Yeah, um, so I will say the FaceTime is getting, like, real, real, because I literally was about to say, can can I try yours? Like, pass, <laughs> pass it to me, can I try it? Yeah, some? sure, let me just hand it through this camera. Yeah, would you like to try mine as well? Um, mm, thank you, it tastes red. Um, speaking of mine, it does taste red. Um, this is a classic blend, but it's not as fruit forward, and I'm again gonna lend that to the oak aging. Um, the blend of all of these wines is really, it's a really great blend. I like that it's not just like a Cab Merlot blend, that they added a bit of that Malbec for some of the spiciness, you know, subtle, very subtle hints of pepper, and also the Petit Verdot to just round it out. It is definitely a wine that is one that you don't necessarily need food with it, but it would go really well with a lot of different meats. Um, I can tell you that for sure. Or it would go really well with like a bag of Cheetos. Have you seen those things where it's basically like wine pairing with like regular food that people actually eat on a daily basis and not a bunch of fancy shit like goat cheese and jam, which I wish I ate that every day though. (laughs) I mean, same. No, but I have seen the, like, BuzzFeed lists, especially that come around this time of year, that are like, what wine pairs best with, like, Halloween candy? Or, like, holiday treats? And I'm like, ooh, I could definitely buck up, like, a Sauvignon Blanc and a sugar cookie or something. Oh, I love my sugar cookies when they have, like, the big granules of sugar on the top. Yes. Can we Mm. talk for a second about... I apparently it's an unpopular opinion, but the sugar cookies that you get from the store that are the ones that come in the plastic package, they're very flowery and they have that thick, very bright ass icing on it with the sprinkles. They're very crumbly. Those cookies are fucking trash. Oh, no. That's the okay. trash cookie. I thought you were about to say they're like your favorite cookie and I was about to be like, you're really wrong and I'm disappointed in you because I promise you've had better cookies than that from Everyone in our family who makes them. I hate those cookies. And they are awful. And they are, I feel like they're the cookies that everyone loves. Like, I, people you know, do. You bring them to like your creative writing club potluck. I don't know. I Something like that. <laughs> um, because you d- weren't going to cook and you just had to run to the store. So you pick that because it's popular. And you just watch these people devour them like you just brought in like a freshly slaughtered animal. And you sit back and wonder, damn, people, have you had good sugar cookies in your life? Like, who hurt you? No, they haven't. Also, um, maybe it's not flour on them. It's crack. So they're addicting. Well, then I guess I'm immune to crack because I'm not into them. I'm not into them either. (laughs) Like, in my mind, cookies need to have texture. I feel like that's a pretty basic requirement. So... If, you know, obviously I want a soft cookie. I don't want no crunchy ass all the way through Chips Ahoy shit. No. But I want it to be crisp and then soft in the middle. That's that's all I ask. I don't ask for much. You know what we're going to need to do? We're going to need to make some ginger chat. Ginger snaps for Christmas. Ginger snatch. Got it. <laughs> no. <laughs> ginger uh, snap no, cookies will. for Christmas because Ooh. we're going to be in charge of doing that. 
ooh, maybe we'll do a baking cookies and pairing it with mulled wine. Not the ginger snaps, sorry. Family seeker recipe, y'all. You understand. But some other kind of cookie recipe, pairing it with mulled wine for Patreon listeners this holiday season. I love it. I love that idea um, because we were already talking about, and I think we already said that, that we wanted to do a mulled wine for Christmas. So heads up, if you're looking for a good mulled wine, we do have an episode coming out on uh, December 24th. And um, that's the one where we will have the mold wine. But if you're a Patreon supporter, you'll get that recipe beforehand. So you can actually yeah. make it. Yes, expect that recipe and probably a recipe video um, early December to come out on Patreon for all of our Patreon followers. Love it. Well, Boom. now that we have our wine, I want to tell you my survivor horror story. I have my wine and I am ready. Okay. So for my survivor story, I watched an episode of I Survived on Lifetime, and my story is from season three, episode one. Okay. Ooh, season opener. It was a season opener, and I can see why, you know? Yeah. You know? All right. So it's about this woman named Terry, who lived in Wind Lake, Wind Lake Wisconsin, um, and it starts in January 2004. So Terry and her ex-husband, David, they both shared custody of their two daughters. Their daughters were aged four and six, so still very young girls. And then on one really cold and snowy day there in January 04, Terry went over to David's house to pick up the girls. David answers the door and he said, they're not ready. And he just shuts the door in her face. And she's like, what the hell? I'm here to pick up the girls. Ugh, so she, what a dick. Right? So she knocks again, and he says, okay, the girls, they're playing hide-and-seek, and Terry, they want you to go find them. Well, Terry had left David after she endured three years of domestic violence, so she really didn't want to go inside his house, but she knew that her daughters really loved hide-and-seek and all these different hiding games. So she decided it was just going to be a lot easier if she went inside, um, you know, played along with the game, and then got her girls and quickly left. But what she didn't know is that David had locked the girls in a bedroom, and he turned the TV up really loud, so they couldn't hear anything that was going on outside the bedroom. Terry walks in the house, and she's playing the game. She's like, oh, gosh, I wonder where the girls are. Where could they be? And she starts, like, looking for them, and the next thing she knew... She was being struck over the head. Oh, shit. She turns around and David is on top of her and he is wielding a baseball bat. And his face is just filled with hatred and evil. She's begging him to stop saying he didn't need to pay child support anymore. Like she doesn't need it. Like it's fine. And this this causes him to pause for like just a second but then he just says that her promises mean nothing, and he just keeps hitting her with the bat. Oh, fuck. David ended up hitting Terry on the head with the bat at least 20 times. On the head. He tried to strangle her. He was using, like, lots of different objects. He would grab, like, rags and towels. Um, her, even He tried even using her socks. Like, at some part during their scuffle, he... Um, took off her shoes and socks, which is really weird. That's weird. Um, and then he tries just strangling her with his hands. And then that's when Terry remembered something that she saw in a movie about turning your head over and over. 
And so she starts doing this and David keeps losing his grip. And so he's getting like really angry and frustrated that she was fighting back so much. Almost like he didn't, he didn't plan for this type of fight. I know. I'm like, do you think it's easy to kill someone? Because, I mean, I don't know from experience, gonna throw that out there. <laughs> but I feel like that's one of the more difficult things to do. People generally fight for their lives. It's kind of literally the only thing your body is built to do is to survive. Yeah. Well, David ended up bounding Terry's wrists and covered her face with duct tape. He then goes and grabs like a really large Rubbermaid garbage can and he starts to shove Terry inside this garbage can. Okay. And so even though she had been hit on the head so many times, she's still conscious at this time and her head's bleeding. And so she knew if she went into this garbage can head first, like that, that would be it. If she was hanging upside down, bleeding, that would be the end. And so she twisted her body around just enough to where she ended up in the trash can with her feet first. And while this is going on, David is taking the trash can outside and he's starting to pack it with snow. So Terry's in the trash can and he's packing every empty crevice with snow from the ground. At this point, Terry did not have her shoes or socks, like I said, but she also didn't have her pants on either. So she only had her jacket And so she could feel the snow just all around her body. Oh my god. After David loaded all the snow into the trash can, he picks it up and puts it in the back of his truck and then covers the trash can with the tarp so no one can see that it's back there. And he goes back inside. So Terry's in this trash can packed with snow and she's she's terrified because she knows that he's he's killing her. And she was very cold. She heard him walk back inside and she's there and like she's like where are my girls like where are the girls are they okay what's going on and so that worry is what's keeping her alert it's what's keeping her conscious uh, because she knows that she can't die she needs to be there for them so she can't die oh my god i the the resolve of a parent is insane it enables you to do things that are Things that seem like they're, like, not humanly possible. I mean, exactly. That's the phrase I was thinking in my mind, too. So it's just not humanly possible. Well, and the fact that she was bashed on the head with a baseball bat 20 times, this isn't getting hit on the head with, uh, I don't know, something lighter than a baseball bat. Like, But this is a freaking baseball bat 20 times, and she's still conscious. Yeah. It's just crazy. And... She she's in this garbage can and then she remembers that she has her cell phone in her jacket pocket. So she's like, okay, I've got to get this duct tape off my wrist so I can get my hand into my pocket. So she uses her thumbnail to like scratch the tape off of her hands. Holy shit. She gets her phone out of her pocket. And at this point, her face is still covered in tape. Mouth, eyes, everything. So she can't see. So she's feeling the numbers. And again, because this is 2005, and okay, so there's she's got numbers. numbers. Yeah, so yeah. she knows where the nine and the one and the one. Now I think it's you hit the side button five times or something like that. Yeah. Yes, I know on the iPhone, if you press the power button, like the button on the side five times, it will like call 911. That is also an option. And also in some jurisdictions, Definitely look it up if your city has it, but they're introducing the ability to text 911. 
Yes. Definitely, if you have the option to call 911, you should definitely call because they could better, like, find out where you are and, like, relay all the information quicker. But if you're ever in a situation where you can text but not call, you know, you may be able to text 911. Or, for those outside of the U.S., your emergency number. And if you do have an iPhone, do not try to see if it works because it immediately calls 911, by the way. Don't try it. Uh, literally, from experience, don't accidentally do that. Also, if your phone, like mine, I have the Pixel, it doesn't have an emergency SOS feature. Um, if your phone doesn't, there are a ton of different apps that you can download. They give you the ability to call emergency services through, like, shaking the phone a certain way or, like, doing something with the power or volume button, um... So you're able to call them even when you can't, like, do a normal call. Yeah. Also, if you have an old phone or one that's, like, not connected, one you don't use anymore, that you just have as a backup phone, regardless, any phone in the U.S. can call 911. So, like, that iPhone 4 that you've had in your drawer for 10 years that, you know, you don't use, but it's your emergency backup phone that's not connected to your plan or whatever... You can still call 911 on it. As long as it still has battery. You can't do it if it's dead. Well, uh, yes. I just wanted to make that distinction. Like, it doesn't have, like, a battery reserve. Um, I mean, obviously, you can't dial 911. The screen doesn't even come up to hit 911. But don't. True. So, Terry, though, she does not have an iPhone. She's got the buttons. So she dials 911. And when the operator answers, she can barely hear Terry. And... You know, the operator saying, like, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't hear you. And it's because of all the tape and the snow. Yeah. Like, Terry was able to get this out of her pocket. The phone's not by her mouth. Like, she's just trying to talk. And so Terry just repeats 26841 over and over until the operator can understand that that's a street address. So Terry eventually is able to give the operator David's home address. And then the next thing she knows after she's successfully done this on 911 She hears David come back outside. He has the girls and he puts them in the cab of the truck and drives off. Oh, shit. So a few minutes later, Terry can hear the police cars coming. But at this time, they're in the truck, they're moving. And so she hears them pass the police cars. They just pass one another on the street. Oh, my God. Terry, at this point, she's aching. She's slipping in and out of consciousness and... Over the next hour, her body temperature just falls rapidly. But what David didn't know at this time was that Terry was pregnant. And so with her body um, like heat going down so rapidly, she was in danger of losing the baby. Oh my god. So Terry you know, comes to again, and she once again calls 911. And she realizes when it picks up that she's in a different county. She's absolutely freezing at this point she had no idea what david was going to do next and she knew that she was dying yeah she's able to tell the operator that her husband is trying to kill her and she then tells the the dispatcher the operator that she's under a tarp and so this dispatcher asks if you know if she can lift the tarp to see where she is and terry says she can't and the operator's like well did he did he cuff you or something and she's like it's the tape it's the tape and then the dispatcher asks, well, then how are you holding the phone? Because at this point, the, the dispatcher thinks it's a prank call. 
And Terry kept talking, saying her name, David's name, and she eventually blacked out from all this, like, breathing and talking and convincing she was trying to do. And so the dispatcher can be heard asking her if she's going to talk or just keep breathing really heavily. Because, again, thinks it's, like, prank call. David had beaten Terry so bad that her head was swollen swollen three times its normal size. And oh, so she's she's really suffering. And she knew that she needed to try to do absolutely anything that she could think of to get David caught. So she's somehow able to get her arm up and out of the trash can and under the tarp. And so she starts waving it around, trying to get attention of other cars. Well, she got David's attention instead. So he gets out of the truck, comes over to her and says, one more stunt like that and I'll get out my 38. And Terry knew that David owned guns. And so she took his threat very seriously. She knew he was yeah. not. This was no joke. She was really scared for herself, but even more so for her daughters. Because again, at this time, they're in the truck. They have no idea their mom's dying in the bed. And... David had the bat with him when he went out there after she waved her arm and he hits her again. And at this time, her phone rings and he hears it and he takes it. David then got back into the truck and kept driving. Terry was able to pull the tape from her eyes um, and she could see the tarp is blowing. At this point, the trash can lid isn't on. Um, She could see the tarp blowing in the wind as they're driving down the road. And all she could see was a road... Uh, with farms, but she had no idea where they were. She was positive that David was right now looking for a place to hide her body where no one would ever find her. So after about another hour of driving around at 4 p.m., finally the truck stops. Terry can feel that David is picking up the garbage can. He's taking it out of the truck. And he she can hear her girls like outside running around playing and she decides not to call out to them because, number one, they're too young to provide any type of help. She wants to make sure they're protected, but also she doesn't want to traumatize them. She doesn't want this moment of her actually being in this trash can to be a part of their reality in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, and if he's willing to do this to her, what is he willing to do to the kids if they find out? Yeah, so she is sacrificing herself to make sure that they're safe. And in this point in time, that means being silent. She can then feel this garbage can that she's in being rolled somewhere. And by the way it sounds kind of like echoey and hollow, it sounds like a garage. And she was right. David had driven Terry to a storage garage in Wheeling, Illinois, which is about 55 miles south of of his house. She could hear like, you know, the trash can is set back up. So David had added the lid and he is now just like piling things on like two by fours, cardboard boxes, just all of these different things. Oh my God. Is he just expecting her to die there and stay? And oh my God. For all he knows, she's already dead. Like he, she stayed silent this entire time because she wanted David to think that she was dead so that he wouldn't shoot her. That threat had already happened. That was an hour before this moment. So all he knows, she's dead. Yeah, I'm honestly surprised with, I mean, his endgame obviously being to kill her, that he didn't shoot her. But I guess if he's trying to make it like not a messy or an obvious murder, you know, maybe that's the reason why not. I mean, I honestly have no idea what's going on through his mind right now. But 
Mm-hmm. At this point, Terry is convinced that she's going to die. Like, she knows she's going to die. This is it. David leaves, and he drove back and drops the girls off at a babysitter that he had arranged previously, and then he goes to work. When Terry heard the garage door close, she waited a few minutes to make sure that he was gone, and then she started yelling. This was her only opportunity. She is squished in this trash can, basically in a fetal position. She can barely move, and she's still bleeding. She's been bleeding this entire time. Because I'm imagining it's one of those trash cans that's, like, plastic and waist-ish high and, like, a 55-gallon. Like, one you might use for, like, your outdoor gardening trash can or something. Yeah, that's what I'm picturing as well. And, um, so, I mean, she's not, like, standing up. She's, like, in a fetal position. She's been shoved in here. Yeah. She also had vomited a few times because of the concussions. And she's just feeling completely trapped. By midnight... Terry had been inside this freezing trash can for more than 13 hours. And a couple of times she was just so drained. And so she just wanted to rest. She just wanted to take a second and rest. But then she was like, no, I can't. That's how you die. You fall asleep. You don't ever wake up. That's how you die. And so overnight, the temperatures dropped to just above zero. So not only is she in the snow, but it is very, very cold. And she's in a garage. Garages are freezing when it's cold. Yeah. Her her head, like I said, was super, 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 super swollen. And her eyes were swollen shut. So even though she had taken the tape off, she still couldn't see. And she just screamed and yelled and knew she she had to stay awake. At this point in time, her core body temperature had dropped to a dangerously low 84 degrees holy shit yeah and And she's still conscious she's still conscious she's suffering from hypothermia and frostbite damn just for those y'all that aren't aware i think hypothermia hits when you're three degrees below normal body temperature so normal body temperature is 98.6 i think if you get into the 95s that's when it's like hypothermia and anything in the low 90s is severe like will kill you hypothermia. So the fact that she's at like 84 degrees body temperature and conscious. Yeah. I don't, I I mean, like I said, I feel like it's this sheer willpower that a parent has that it's like literally the, you know, you hear about the mom lifting the car off her kid and this stuff actually happens. This is not, this is not like a fable or whatever. There are people who have these bouts of, sheer strength and power and might and will that enables them to to do things because they know their children are in danger i mean for fucking real we talk all the time not we not you and me we never talk about it but like everyone outside of us talks about superheroes and stuff like that all the time you want to see real avengers a group of moms that's uh, the Avengers. No joke. No joke. And l- when you when you look at this, we know that her kids are at a sitter. I mean, it's the middle of the night. They could be back with yeah. the dad. We don't know that. But, but she, she doesn't. Yeah. You know, she's the one in danger, but she's worried about her kids. She's like, I have to stay awake for them. I will keep yelling. I will keep fighting. She was also, along with the screaming yelling, she's moving every little bit that she possibly can just to Try not to freeze to death. She then hears a noise like someone is coming back in the garage and she was immediately terrified and she stopped screaming. 
She thought it was David, that he was going to shoot her or pick up the garbage can, throw it back in the truck, and then dump her in a lake. Like, she just, she doesn't know. When she hears this person, like, coming back in the garage, she had been in the trash can for 27 hours, and she's about to die. 27 hours in snow, in a trash can, not moving. And then she hears someone say, we're the paramedics. And so, like, just this wash of, like, oh, my God. Okay, well, I'm almost dead, but not yet. Yeah. So apparently following those 911 calls that she made, police went to David's house and searched it. And they alerted paramedics that they had found a business card for a storage garage. Now, I'm sure in David's home, there had to have been blood from when he beat her. But this is one of those things that absolutely amazes me about law enforcement. How they can walk into an empty scene. No one's there. Truck is gone. They don't even know to be looking for something going on, really. Yeah. They just know some. They got a weird phone call. There was a woman in distress, and they walk in and they see, I'm sure, like blood, but the bat's not there. David's not there. The kids aren't there. Maybe there was broken furniture. I mean, I don't really know what the scene looks like, but it obviously looked like a struggle happened. And someone mm-hmm. finds a business card and is like, holy shit, he probably took her to the storage garage. We have to go there. Well, and the fact that they realize that that was a business card that's important and not just a... I mean, I have business cards from rando shit Mm -hmm. that I get, you know, in the mail or people hand me and stuff that's sitting in my mail pile to forever sit there until the world ends. And none of that stuff means anything to me. I would never have any connection to, you know, this realtor or whatever. But these law enforcement officers see this card and they're like... Let's fucking investigate this. I also think it's kind of weird, though, that they sent paramedics there and not, like, just the police. Or I guess maybe they're both there. I'm sure they're both there. But they, you know, if you look at it from, they got a phone call from a woman in distress. Something's happening. That other call did come in and maybe they made a connection. And she had said on that second call that her husband was trying to kill her. And so even though the dispatcher thought it was a prank, you know, that's still log. That's still something that happened. Yeah. And, you know, just trying to think maybe they saw footage of, you know, traffic lights and him going through them and just. Yeah. But wh- Y'all don't fucking prank call 911. Never. Like, don't think that needs to be said, but don't fucking do it. It's not funny. Stuff like that's never funny. But like no. these officers, they have a limited amount of time because you know it's within that like 48 hours of someone missing and at this point like i'm sure they figured out they knew who david was that he had an ex-wife that there were kids like i'm sure again they're putting pieces together and they have a limited amount of time so that's why i would think the paramedics were with them and thank god they were she wouldn't have had time for them to call them terry was then rushed to the icu at a nearby hospital and the next thing she knew she woke up And she's at the hospital and the nurse is asking her if it's okay to cut her hair. You know, they've got to staple her head shut. And she's like, I don't care about my fucking hair. (laughs) And I'm sure the nurse is not sitting there like, honey, is it okay if we cut your hair? The nurse is probably just like, we're cutting your hair so we can staple the shut. Just like, you know, narrating the situation because she is coming in and out of consciousness. Yeah. And I can see that being something that. You know, you would ask, you would mention, for a lot of people, their hair is very important to them kind of thing. But I like that she's like, I don't give a fuck, but staple my hair head. Yeah, she's like, hello. Um, And it's also, it's not like they're, 
they're going to do whatever they need to do to get your head shut. Yeah. So they may ask you, but it doesn't mean your answer really makes that much of a difference. Um, I don't yeah. know. Maybe if there's a nurse out there, a trauma nurse, maybe they try to cut less. But it's still like this quick moment. I know. They're not, they're not taking you to the Regis of the mall to like, <laughs> you know, okay, well, let's make sure we can like part this and do it all nice. Well, they're like, we're going to save you. Exactly. And the first thing Terry did, though, is she asked where her kids were. And she found out that her girls were safe and that her sister had them. After Terry, you know, is able to, um, she's still in the ICU. She's still severely injured, but she's, she's warmed up. She's coming back to, um, and she's able to have conversations. The doctors told her and her husband, Nick, that their unborn baby didn't make it. But at this moment, you know, Terry opens her eyes and she sees Nick and she just can't believe she's alive. She was obviously sad about having to go through something like this. She was sad about losing her baby, but she was alive. So there's just a lot of emotions going on. And on top of that, the doctors thought that they were going to have to amputate her legs at the knees and her arms at the elbows because of all the frostbite. Yeah. Oh, shit. But thankfully, they were able to save her limbs, but they did have to cut off all of her toes. And... She she talks about how her dad was in the room and he's like, do you really, do you really have to remove the toes? They all had severe frostbite. And she was like, dad, literally, I don't care about my toes. I'm okay. The girls are okay. I'm alive. I do not care about my toes. Yeah. And like, yeah, flip flops are going to be a no go <laughs> from now on. But yo, I'm cool with that. Closed toed shoes. Not going to be a thing I ever wear. Balance is going to oh. be a little bit iffy. <laughs> you would have to find oh, wait. what your new shoe size is. <laughs> I I said the opposite. Closed-toed shoes would be all she would wear. Not a, yes. not a no-go. Open-toed shoes are a no-go. Yeah. Balance is yes. difficult. She just went down maybe a full size. I don't know. If she was an eight, she's now a seven. I would think more than that. I, I mean, don't know. I don't know. Toes are big. I mean, but... your toes are big. Okay, well, I have <laughs> size 13 feet. Leave me alone. Your feet are huge. It's so funny. I mean, I have like size seven and a half, eight, And when I put it next to you, it looks like I have like baby feet. <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay, so Terry's toes are gone. But Terry's alive. Literally, that's what matters most. Terry's alive. Her kids are safe. And eventually, you know, after she comes back home, back from the hospital, she does get pregnant again. And she gives birth to a healthy baby boy. And her ex-husband, David Larson, was arrested at work and convicted of kidnapping and attempted murder. He was sentenced to life in prison. Good. And at the sentencing, he was just glaring at Terry. But, like, she, the strength of this woman, I can't even, because she didn't even let it get to her. Because she's like, I survived. And he was going away forever. And she knew that he couldn't hurt her or her girls anymore. Fuck yes. So Terry survived because she is a badass and she is stronger than I can even imagine. Like just the sheer willpower. Like I'm saying, like when I was researching this, it just kept being more like, oh my God, oh my God, what? And you get what I mean now mm -hmm. when I said that? Because yeah, like, damn, Terry, you're a freaking queen. She is a fucking badass, boss-ass bitch. Also, like, so humble. Because she didn't let something like this destroy her. 
she was like, no, I survived. And for me, that's enough. I think that's one of the things that blows my mind about all of the survival cases. I mean, first of all, the fact that I swear in half the cases you hear, it's these strong as shit women going through the worst things you can imagine and coming out of it and being like, and then I started the center for abused women or I did. And you're like, holy shit. You not only took all that pain and hurt that you went to and turned it into something constructive, but turned it into something constructive to help other people. That's fucking incredible but also how humble they're being i know um i feel like if i fucking survived this attack or disaster or whatever i'm like bitch i'm writing a memoir yeah so because i maybe my ass is not humble i i just don't even i am so impressed by people that don't get bitter when really really bad things happen because Bitter is the easy option. And so it takes a lot of strength, which obviously Terry already proved herself to be really fucking strong, but to not even let bitter be a thing and, you know, not even let David's glares phase her one bit. She didn't even let being bitter be an option. She was like, "Mm, yeah, that's cool, but no. Yeah, she was like, I'm alive. Girls are alive. Happy with my husband. Got my baby boy. Life is Yeah, great. she's like, I have my life, I have my girls, don't give a shit about my hair, don't give a shit about my toes. Like, I have everything I need. Yeah, so Terry's a fighter. Fuck, Terry's a fucking queen. I also just noticed that you just poured your last, like, I mean, very full, I will say, glass. Um, but y- I'm not I even, needed a lot. I'm not even halfway done with my bottle, and you're just like, and listen, ready for this last sip before I tell you my case. First off, your case required me to drink a lot of wine. And second off, it's a white wine, so it's easier to drink. It's basically water. I mean, I'm essentially drinking Pinot Grigio by Evian. (laughs) Um, Honestly, if I were a water maker, I would fucking go into the wine industry. I want to taste what a Dasani cab tastes like. Ooh, maybe I don't, actually. That's just called a wine spritzer, and it already exists, and you just do... You mix... Like you No, but I want it to be like the company. I want fucking an Ozarka red blend or some shit. No, there's already like the seltzer water. We don't need seltzer wine. Are you telling me you would not drink a Prosecco done by Perrier? I would, and also, side note, there is well, it's not a side note because it totally flows in with this. I don't even know why I said that. But I think it's like Bishop Arts Brewery or something. It's here in Dallas, and they've made um, wines in a can that are lower alcohol percentage. They're more like the percentage you would get in like a beer or whatnot. And so they do have like other fruits and stuff in it. So it's along the lines of exactly what you're talking about. Well, what the fuck is the point of that? I don't want to like open a can of wine and be like, ooh, 5%. No, I'm not a child. (laughs) I don't want a juice box. They're really good. Okay, don't shit all over them until you've tried them, okay? It's good. Okay, you're right. You're right. Um, anyway, so Terry, amazing, freaking rock star. Tell me about your survivor. So my case is also from an episode of I Survived. My case is from season two, episode six. And it is the case of Jennifer Holliday in Lufkin, Texas, 
in May of 2005. So I have an interesting connection to Lufkin that I can't really say, but like, I just, I know exactly where that is. And I know a lot of people that live there. And the other thing I wanted to say is if y'all have not watched I Survive on Lifetime, it is, oh my God, you know, it is a difficult show to watch because you're hearing all these horrific things people have gone through, but you have that glimmer of hope at the end, knowing that they survived, but that doesn't mean that everyone in their party survived, like that they didn't lose things, that they aren't having lasting effects, but it's, and it ranges from like crimes to like things of nature, to like getting lost, to just freak, freak acts of God. I Survived is incredible. And if you're looking for a show like that, but you don't want to focus on true crime, one, I'm confused how you got this far into the podcast. <laughs> but um, but two, there's also I Shouldn't Be Alive, which is one the Discovery Channel did, which is very similar, but more nature stuff. So there's one where uh, a yacht sinks and it's a bunch of people in a rubber zodiac dinghy is how it's always talked about and then there's sharks that are eating people um there's people drinking salt water and jumping out and there's like two people that survive to the end it's horrifying there's one about uh, a u.s military ship that sank and there's like 10 survivors out of like 2,000 people because a bunch of them died on the ship and then they just talk about how they were listening to sharks eat their friends throughout the night and just waiting for one to get them. Fucking horrifying. There's also one, a dude's plane crashed in, like, the African savanna, and he made his way to a tree, but the tree was one of those that when you touch it, it, like, burns you and is poisonous, but it was his only shelter, so he laid against it, and there was, like, fucking cheetahs all around him. That shit's horrifying. And there's recreations. In I Survived, there are not recreations. It's more of, like, the survivors sitting there telling it their story. I Shouldn't Be Alive has... Graphic recreation. Not recreation. Different. (laughs) Similar word, not the same. Recreations. And welcome to the English language. You change one letter and you change the meaning completely. Um, I don't even know if they're spelled differently. It just might be the emphasis. (laughs) Recreation and recreation. No, actually, I think that's one of the words that the spelling is the same. Like, Yeah, fuck the English language. Yeah. It's, It's a bad one. Well, and like the word lead... When you oh when you say God. it out loud, you don't know if there's an A or not. So do you mean like pencil lead or do you mean like you're leading people? If you read it, you, you need the context of the sentence to know if it's lead or lead. So same spelling, different tense. English sucks. It does. But yes, English sucks, but I Survived does not. I Survived is amazing. And I really want to watch I Shouldn't Be Alive. It's really good they also because it's it's very similar it's basically if you took the cases from i survived and took out like the ones that are more naturey kind of things that's discovery channel and kept the same format but also added the recreation so it still has that um like interview style of them telling you things of them spilling all the tea i wonder if it's available like on their app or anything I don't know. It's probably available on YouTube, honestly. For those of y'all that don't have cable or something, you can find a shit ton of I Survived episodes for free on YouTube. So just throwing that out there. Also, going further into the Discovery Channel direction, if you like disaster shows, Perfect Disaster is a miniseries that they did. It's like six episodes, 
and it's super fucking good. It is my favorite show ever made. Like, literally my favorite show ever made. And it takes disasters that will probably happen in the future. And the production value is that of, like, a really good TV miniseries or a movie. So one of the episodes, I think the first episode, is an EF5, which is the strongest tornado hitting downtown Dallas. And they talk to different experts in the show. So it's, you know, it is like kind of documentary-esque. And they also have a storyline to help you relate and really see the disaster through the people that would live through its eyes. And the production and the effects are fucking amazing. It is horrifying. Oh my god. Wait. They have one when, with... When did that actually happen? It didn't. It's a disaster oh. that could happen. So they take... They look at other disasters. I think in that one they talked about, like, the Gerald tornado that hit Texas or the Oklahoma City tornado. Um, and then they build a scenario of it hitting downtown Dallas. It's like the worst case scenario kind of disasters. There's one that's a tornado hitting Dallas. There's um, the Thames River barrier failing and flooding London. There is a typhoon hitting Hong Kong. An ice storm in Montreal. There's two more. Hold on. I know them. I've watched them. A fire like wildfires hitting Sydney, Australia, and then like a solar flare hitting New York City. And they're all disasters that not only could happen, but like will probably happen. It's incredible. Strongly suggest it. That sounds really scary. What was it called again? Perfect disaster. It is terrifying, but it's so good because they also have tips of like, how can you help yourself? How can you prevent, you know, if you live in this area or whatever. It's so good. In case anyone's wondering, while Tyler was talking about Perfect Disaster, I looked it up and I Shouldn't Be Alive is available on Amazon Prime. So if you're an Amazon Prime um, subscriber or whatever, if you have Amazon Prime, you have Amazon Prime Video, check it out. Ooh, I sh you shouldn't have told me that because now I know what I'm doing with the rest of my night. I mean, same. I was going to watch Jumanji, but now I think I'm going to watch this show, which is a like the exact you opposite. Should. Maybe I should watch Jumanji. I don't know. No, fuck Jumanji. You don't need to, you know, see the fucking rhino running through the house or whatever. That is all I remember from the one from the 90s with Robin Williams. Um, That's not the one I'm talking about. Uh, but the number one thing I remember from that one is when he's like, what year is it? Literally how I feel half of my life. I mean, fair. But No, I'm talking about the yes. new one with The Rock. Yeah, no, I, I figured. I don't care. It's supposed to be really I also don't good. like movies. I know. All right. But if, like me, you're going to go watch I Survived after this, not Jumanji, I think the first episode is the one with the rubber Zodiac dinghy and the people drinking salt water. Like, it's it's a lot. It's incredible. It wraps you watch in quickly, it. sounds like. And you will see what I mean when every other word out of their mouth is rubber Zodiac dinghy. <laughs> and friend got eaten by a shark. Basically. That's scary. Okay. But my case does not have dinghies. Rubber Zodiac dinghies in particular, or sharks, or any of that, but it does have survival. We've talked about other things long enough. Tell me about your story of survival. So, again, this takes place in the Lufkin, Texas area in May of 2005, and it centers around Jennifer. So, it's about 2 a.m. 
and Jennifer is driving. She just picked up her cousin, Anna, from a babysitting job, and they're driving home. So, 2 a.m., Lufkin is tiny town in Texas, so they're on the highway, but there's no one else on the road. But they're having a good time. They're laughing, listening to music. Uh, Jennifer, I think, is in her, like, 20s at this point. Anna's 17, so, like, her younger cousin. Out of nowhere... Again, they're driving 70 miles an hour. They hear this huge bang and said it was like the loudest noise they've ever heard. Anna looks over at Jennifer and just starts screaming. And Jennifer is trying to calm her down. She's like, it's okay. I think we just got hit by a drunk driver. It's it's fine. Like, we're okay. But then she's starting to realize they hadn't been hit by a drunk driver Someone had just shot her with a shotgun. Oh my god! Like, through the window? Through the window, while they're driving. 70 miles an hour, they're on, like, a fucking country highway. Oh my god! So, some guy had driven his truck up alongside them, pulled out a shotgun, and just shot through their car window, and hit her. And she's the driver, right? Yeah. Oh my god. So Jennifer was hit in the arm, and it basically destroyed her arm and her elbow. Essentially, her lower arm, like her forearm, is connected to her upper arm by like a flap of skin. So she pulls the car over to the side of the highway. Anna is screaming for Jennifer to just go to keep driving. And Jennifer's like, I I can't. And she hands her her cell phone and was like, call 911. Literally, I am beyond impressed right now that she, like, pulls the car over to the side of the road. Like, the fact that she's been driving this whole time. Oh, yeah. I am so fucking impressed with everything about her. So she hands the phone to Anna to call 911. And while all of this is happening, neither of them notice that the man who had pulled out the gun and shot her had pulled up behind them. Who? On the side the of the road. fuck is this guy? He walks up to the driver's door, so to where Jennifer's sitting, and he just says, Hello, girls. That's creepy. He's just being cheery. He reaches in, because, you know, Jennifer's window's shattered out. Both windows are shattered out. I think he... Pulled up alongside Anna's side on the passenger side. So I think both windows are shot out um, when he initially shot them. So he reaches in, grabs the cell phone from Anna before she was able to call 911, and just throws it into the ditch. He then pulls the gun up, because then he's, you know, on the driver's side, and he shoots. And this bullet, they go right in front of Jennifer. She said it was like a Matrix moment. Like, they just go right in front of her. And they hit Anna in the temple, <gasps> killing her. Oh my god. And she was she was 17. I mean, Jennifer just, she she's the older cousin who picked Anna up from her babysitting job. Yeah. The guy then drags Jennifer out of her car into his car and throws her in. So she's like in the, you know, the passenger area of his truck. He goes back to Jennifer's car with a duffel bag. And the idea is to take Anna's body with him. Like, in the duffel bag? Yeah, I have no idea how big this duffel bag is. Big enough, I guess. Mm. I, I, I mean, I guess so. 
But, so, Jennifer is in his truck. Again, she's been shot in the arm. Her arm's basically fallen off. And the shotgun's next to her in the truck. He's back at her car trying to put Anna into this duffel bag. And before he can get back, Jennifer sees the shotgun in the seat next to her. She grabs it and she throws it out the window onto the highway. And she's like, okay, the weapon's gone. I'm safe. He didn't see her do any of this. Talk about a stupid criminal also. Like, leaving your gun next to the victim. Because honestly, I know she has use of one arm, but it sounds like she's a pretty strong woman. And she could have shot his ass. Yeah. Well, she, after she throws the gun out the window and she's like, okay, I'm safer now. She looks down and she realizes that the floor is covered in other guns. Oh my god. And so she is just like, oh, fuck. And that's when the gunman comes back to the truck. He doesn't have the duffel bag or Anna's body with him. He just left her there. I guess he couldn't fit it in. But he left her there. So he jumps in the truck and he floors it back onto the highway with Jennifer in the seat next to him. She is sitting there trying to decide, you know, should I grab one of these guns and try to use it? Should I try to kill him? I know he's going to try to kill me. But she is bleeding so much, and she's like, I am, there's no way I'm going to be able to do this, to grab it out of the floor and, and shoot him. Yeah. So she doesn't. During the time that he's driving her, he's weird. He would do things like he would hit her, and then just start laughing. And she's trying to figure out who the hell he is. She doesn't know him from anywhere, and she has no idea why he chose her and Anna. And she's thinking maybe he thinks there's someone else. She has no idea. But they're driving and he turns onto a back road off of the highway. And as they're driving, there are no houses around them. There are no lights. It is pitch black, middle of nowhere. He then stops the car. He drags her out of the car and kind of up an embankment on the side. And there he sexually assaults her. I hate this type of person. Like, it's he's just he's just doing this to do this. It doesn't seem like there is any reason behind any of these actions at all. There's no reason. Like, none of it makes sense. And again, her arm is hanging there by the skin. She She's not been bandaged or anything. She's just bleeding. And you have some pretty good arteries and veins in your arm. Yeah. Like, she's bleeding a lot. Yeah. And she said that after he assaulted her, he kind of changed and became a different person. He would start crying and then asking her what happened to her arm. And then he would switch and go back into this rage. Sounds like So she's just like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, it sounds like bipolar, multiple personality, something's going on. Exactly. So Jennifer starts talking to him. She starts asking him if he has any kids. And she starts talking to him about her six-year-old son. Um, She's a single mom herself. And so she's just trying to establish some bond. And when they get back into the truck, she realizes that she can play with his confusion. Yeah. Like, that is her opportunity. That's her weapon. Yeah, she can... Do what she can to, like, win him over, as she said. So she starts rubbing his leg, kissing him, being affectionate. 
She tells him thank you and that she had a great time. That is some phenomenal strength and willpower. I, that's not even something I can comprehend. I have I have no idea how she was able. I mean, the amount of strength it takes to do something like this, I have no idea. And she could tell that it was working. And he again would ask, like, what happened to her arm? And she said, oh, remember, you just found me like this and you were saving me. You were going to take me back to your house. And he gets all confused and he's like, I don't remember then she says to him, you didn't see that guy, John, that shot me? He was going to leave me there on the side of the road, and then you came along and you saved me. And he starts to believe her and believe what she's saying. She's a genius. She is a fucking genius. And then she asks him, you know, are you still going to let me use your phone to call an ambulance because I'm still bleeding everywhere? And he's like, you know, I have a warrant out for my arrest, so I can't really take you back to the to my house to use the phone. And at this time, she also, he gave her a t-shirt from his truck to, like, tourniquet her arm. So she now has a t-shirt wrapped around her arm. Thank God. But after the sexual assault, she's completely naked, except for this t-shirt on her arm. So, uh, you know, he's saying... I have this warrant out for my arrest. You can't just use the phone. And she's like, you know, I have the tourniquet, but I'm still bleeding. And there's this other car that saw what happened. So they're probably going to start looking for me. And, you know, I need to tell the police what happened just to like cover everything. Let them know how much of a hero you are. And he's like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. I wouldn't want to like get mixed up in this. Because of my warrant. Oh my god. This is... Whoa. Oh yeah. She is my favorite person. So he tells her that, you know, he lives with his brother and that they have family that lives, like, in the trailers nearby. Um, They all lived in the woods next to a cemetery. It's about 20 miles outside of town. So, you know, the creepiest fucking scene you can imagine. Yeah. He tells her that his family's out of town and that she needs to not act bad or he's not going to be responsible for what happens next. But he takes her to his house and there is nobody around. It is just the two of them. Again, she is completely naked except for the t-shirt on her arm and they have to walk through the cemetery and down the hill to get to his trailer. This is so creepy. creepy. Oh my god. Yeah. And it's it was 2 a.m. when she was driving with Anna. So it's probably, I don't know, 3 a.m., 3.30 right now. It's the middle of the fucking night. They go inside the house and she calls 911. And here is the 911 call. If you're not into listening to 911 calls, if you don't like them, mm, skip forward. 30 seconds or so. 911, what is your emergency? Um, somebody shot me. Man here, help me on the side of the road. Someone shot you? Uh-huh, and my arm is in half right now. And this man right here, this man right here in front of me, help me out. Okay, where are you, ma'am? Please hurry. Okay, are you from this area, ma'am? Uh-huh. Okay, let me let me speak to that gentleman that's helping you, okay? Uh, um, how do you get to I've got another gunshot wound. Same, same one, same one, same one. 
So for those of y'all that weren't able to like really hear what that was, the main reason I wanted to play it for y'all was just how fucking calm she was able to be through all this, how fucking composed she was able to be. She tells them that she's been shot and the man she's with saved her, you know, and then in the background, she can hear the operator telling another officer in the background that they have another gunshot wound. And she just starts saying, same one, same one, same one. And then they know, like, it, it's the same one. That was my cousin. That was me. But she can't obviously say that. He's standing right next to her. So she's just telling them, please hurry. Please hurry. Yeah, it sounded like she was um, doing the thing where you just, like, take over the narrative. And, like, she's having the whole conversation, but even though, like, the 911 operator wouldn't say anything, she's like, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, yeah, mm -hmm, please hurry. Like, she's answering questions Mm -hmm. when she's not really answering questions. Well, she's giving them information in ways that, you know, the murderer next to her, he's not going to be able to tell. She's like, yep, mm -hmm, same one. Mm -hmm, Yep, please hurry. By this time, the police had found Anna's body, and the 911 operator is realizing that the man that Jennifer's next to, that she can't say everything, is because that's the man who killed Anna. Which I I love that they were able to determine that. But again, it was her just being like, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, like she's having a conversation when she's not. Yeah, she's like, "Mm mm-hmm, same one, I can hear you in the background, yep, mm -hmm, same one, same shooting. I love how there's that i mean that's what you do you just like have a conversation like you're answering questions you're not being asked so they can be like oh shit the person who did this is right next to her fucking cheers to 911 operators we've talked about it multiple times before but that job it is so thankless but you are saving lives every single fucking day every day and it is just incredible you're you're sending help, sending police, and in a lot of these cases, you have no idea how it turned out. You have no idea if the person on the other line lived. You have no idea if you're talking about a crime, uh, if the person was caught. You know, so many times you have no idea how the story ends. You're a, you're a, you're a piece of it, a part of it, and you're fucking saving lives every day. So any 911 operators listening, we fucking love you. Y'all are fucking incredible. Well, and I'll even extend that to, like, any law enforcement, paramedics, firefighters, nurses, doctors. Like, literally, you guys save us. That I, I mean, yeah. That's, I, we literally wouldn't survive without those people, so. Exactly. So, the gunman, the murderer, he tells Jennifer that only one ambulance can come and don't bring law enforcement. He's like, of course, yeah, I'll bring the ambulance, but don't bring any cops. And so she tells him, she's still on the phone with uh, the operator, but she tells him, she's like, oh my god, don't worry. They are just going to be so happy that you saved me and you saved my life. You're going to be the hero. And he loves that. He's like, yeah, you're right. You know, maybe maybe they're going to get rid of my warrants or whatever. But yeah, I am the hero. I saved her. She's so smart. I just can't get over it. Oh my god, I know. Some of the things that people do when they have no choice is phenomenal. Like, honestly, this is... It's inspirational. 
in a really scary mm-hmm. way because none of us ever want to find us in a position anywhere remotely similar to this. But it's inspirational yeah. hearing people's stories. Absolutely. So at this point, he has her put on some shorts and a t-shirt before the ambulance gets there so that she's not naked. And she has lost so much blood. She is so weak. She's not able to tell the 911 operator where she is. So she hands the phone to the guy to tell the the 911 operator, the paramedics, how to get there. And he gives them exact directions on how to get to his house. And again, remember, the operator knows that she is talking to the killer. Yeah. And throughout it, she is so calm. It's They're like having a normal conversation on how to get there, how to get down the long driveway that's next to the cemetery. Like, just chatting as if, like, this is a rando guy who called 911 after he saw this. It's just, it is fucking creepy. Again, it's that just, man, being calm in the face of this is something I would struggle with because I'm like, I get like anxious and flustered when I don't know, I dial the wrong phone number and the wrong person answers. Like it's just the things I get flustered over are so like stupid (laughs) in comparison to these things that are real. Fair. I think that's like my one, not my one, but one of my strengths is the not getting flustered in stressful situations. So I'm like, I, I, I maybe I think I could be a 911 operator. Oh, 100%. I think you totally could do that because you are able to stay calm and like I swear to god in situations I'm always glad that you're there because I obviously have no chill and I'm not calm. <laughs> if y'all can't tell, there have been multiple situations that Brittany and I have been somewhere and I have to call 911 and I am definitely the one to call 911 out of the family. Yep. Yep, having one, like, very particular in my memory that we're not going to go into. But, yep, you're absolutely the one that has to call 911. Yep, because I can be like, okay, mm-hmm, okay, can y'all calm down in the background? I'm trying to tell them where our address is. <laughs> oh, gosh. But, yeah, so the operator is talking to the killer, knows it, and even tells him that he's doing an amazing job and the ambulance is not far away. Just being like... Thank you, you know, you're doing a great job. You're doing amazing, sweetie. Yeah. Incredible. And he really believes that this other man that Jennifer's talking about was the one that had shot her. And the killer, he starts asking Jennifer, you know, where did your friend go? And what what, what happened to her? And Jennifer knows that Anna's dead. She watched her get shot in front of her and die in front of her. Yeah. And she just goes, you know, remember, she's back at the car. She didn't want to come. She she wanted to stay behind, stay at the car. And, you know, you're, you're saving me. It, it's fucking heartbreaking. This entire time, Jennifer is sitting there and she is terrified that at any moment he is going to become lucid again. Is going to, quote-unquote, wake up, and he's going to cut her throat. So 50 minutes after the call started, the 911 call started, the paramedics finally find the house. Wow, so it took them a while to really locate where he is, because he was outside of the city, right? 
Yeah, he was he was about 20 miles outside of the city, and for reasons we'll get into soon, I think they probably found it a little bit earlier. Oh. The ambulance gets there, they stop, like, on the other side of the hill. And he even walks up to the ambulance and is like, hey, she's just down here, she's down the hill, come get her. And they're like, no, no, we're, we're good here. And he's like, okay, what the fuck? So he comes back to the house and he tells Jennifer that, you know, the ambulance is here, but they're not coming all the way down for some reason. So this whole time, Jennifer's still on the phone with the 911 operator. Yeah. And the operator hears that, hears that the ambulance is here, probably gets confirmation on the other end. And that is when she tells Jennifer, get out of the house. So Jennifer walks out outside with the guy right behind her. And as she's walking out, remember, this is a house that's, like, in the middle of the fucking woods. Yeah. Cemetery right next to it, but in the fucking woods. And she's looking out. She starts seeing things. She's seeing the the trees are moving. And she is like, holy shit. I have lost so much blood that I am see- starting to see things. What she's actually seeing is the SWAT team that is hiding in the woods surrounding the house. Oh my god. She has no idea. She thinks she is, I mean, she's dying. Yeah. She thinks she is, like, fucking seeing shit move, and she's seeing the SWAT team that is surrounding them. I've never been this anxious um, during a case, because it's like, I know she survives, but holy shit, the SWAT team is there, and she doesn't know it, and there's, like, this whole call that has just happened, like, whoa. I just, uh, literally, my heart's racing right now. The fact that she is fucking pulling out these acting chops that I don't know if she went to fucking Juilliard or is just a natural born actress, but the fact that she is able to convince him that he actually is saving her in all of this stuff that they had already talked about him bringing her back to his house and having her call the 911 on the phone, like all of this shit. And he believes it. I know. She's... And to hear her on the 911 call, how calm she is, because how calm she has to be. Holy shit. So, they're walking outside the house, the SWAT team is surrounding them, and all of a sudden, they jump out of the trees to get him. And he puts up a fight, he starts fighting them. Jennifer breaks free, breaks away from all of that, and she, again, I feel like I have, I've had to say this a bunch of times, But remember, her arm is hanging on by a strip of skin. Yeah. Like, she's going through all of this with a fucking arm hanging on. Like, she breaks away from that, and she sprints up the hill. And she is running and running, and when she gets to the crest of the hill, she gets to the top, and she sees the ambulance, and she sees the paramedics there. She just fucking breaks down. She was like... I have never been so happy, so elated for someone to be there for me. Yeah. And it was over. So, Eric Parnell, who was the killer, he received two life sentences for capital murder, aggravated assault, and kidnapping. Jennifer wound up having eight surgeries and still, to this day, has over 30 shotgun pellets lodged in her arm, chest, and neck. Because if y'all didn't oh know, God. a shotgun 
a shotgun doesn't shoot like a bullet. It shoots a little, it shoots pellets. So it's basically one gun going off and like 200 bullets going from it that are small pellets. There's that many? There's a shit ton. Oh my god. I mean, she had eight surgeries and she still has 30 of them in her from one shot. I had no idea there were that many. This is, Jesus, wow. But with those surgeries, they were able to save her arm. Oh, thank God. Um, This is going to sound, I don't even know, but I was worried when she was running, it just like tore off. No, they were able to save it. I mean, and she, she showed it in the episode and there's a, I mean, there's a chunk missing. Yeah. Like basically where her, where her elbow used to be. But, but she has they it. were able to save her arm. Yeah. Yeah. And she says that she survived to honor her cousin's name. And because she was determined to do whatever she had to do to make it out alive and to be okay. She survived because she is a fucking badass. So many cheers to the badass women in this episode. Oh my god. Yes. This episode is all about the strength of women. With that, I think we need to jump into postmortem. I agree. So, honestly, I'm torn because they're so strong for different reasons. In your case, she survived literally unsurvivable circumstances for so long. And in my case, she had to basically, like, fucking gaslight her her cousin's murderer and her rapist to believe that he was the hero yeah so that she could save herself i mean i i don't know well i what are your thoughts <laughs> well terry's core body temperature went down to 84 degrees and i don't know how she was still breathing breathing let alone no. conscious like that's one of the biggest things i'm like she was hit over the head with a baseball bat over 20 times she was in a small space in snow with no pants no shoes no socks only her jacket for 27 hours and as far as her body she lost her toes she did lose her child but with you know, their initial thoughts of amputation, etc. And literally the fact that she survived are just phenomenal. And with Jennifer, my God, I mean, you, you called it like her acting strategy, but essentially it was. But I just cannot imagine putting myself in a situation, either of these, but in, in this one where you have to like befriend someone who has just raped you, killed your cousin, your arms hanging off, and you have to tell them they're the hero, like, thank you for saving me, like, cuddling up yeah. to them no so i don't, we'll see if you agree with me but i feel like we have our first uh survivor's draw honestly yeah i think that is absolutely what we need to do i think that with both our cases it is just fucking strong ass women being fucking bosses and I absolutely think it's a draw. Well, let's just collaborate on next week's episode. We'll pick a topic together yeah. and we'll go from there. That works for me. So, all right. Thank you guys so much for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, I feel like this was 
I may even go out there and say it maybe one of my favorites and it's probably because they survived. So I can, I can say that. Um, (laughs) I think, um, I definitely think we need to, uh, bring back some more survivor cases because they're just, there's something that is so intense and so gripping when you have the person going through it, able to explain it through their eyes, because so often we have cases where we have murder victims that, because they were murdered, they're not able to speak for themselves. So we can say the facts, we can say what was happening. Sometimes we have other resources like calls they made, texts they made, something that can explain like what they felt they were going through during this time. But a lot of times it's just completely up to your imagination and the facts laid out. Yeah. But in survivor stories, you are able to really sit in sit behind the eyes of the person who went through it and able to experience it along with them. And it is in a lot of ways, so much more fucking terrifying than any murder case we do because it's real and it's exact. Yeah. But God, I, I really enjoy our survivor episodes. Me too. So let us know what you thought. Be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Um, give us those five stars. Let us know if you like the Survivor episodes. Let us know some of the topics you love, ones that you'd want to hear more of. Um, but yeah. Absolutely. Also, while you're doing that, make sure to like and follow us on social media. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Make sure to check out our website. Uh, We have our merch store there. Check out our Patreon. If you're interested in merch, why not look at becoming a Nero Divola Cosa Nostra? That is much harder to say after you've had a bottle of wine, I'm just (laughs) going to say. Um, But check into joining that. And um, if you really like the tote or the shirt, you know, Look at becoming a Patreon supporter. Maybe you just want to buy it off our store. I love you either way. But check all that shit out. Do it. And with that, this is Blood and Wine signing off. XOXO. Bye, you guys. Bye.